0: Hello and welcome to this podcast, which is brought to you by CSO in partnership with Cisco. My name is Dan Swinhoe. I'm a UK editor at CSO Online, and today we're looking at how Brunel University adapted to the challenges brought around by the COVID-19 pandemic and how it dealt with that with help from Cisco. Amid the coronavirus crisis, companies have had to enable secure remote working on a massive scale in a very short space of time. Universities, however, have additional challenges in the shape of large student populations, academics working on sensitive research data and staff dealing with personal information and universities have to find a way to allow all of those continue to operate and collaborate and learn securely. Joining me today is Mick Jenkins, CSO for Brunel University and author of several spy thrillers with a security flavour. Thanks for joining me today Mick.
1: Yes hello Dan and uh, delighted to join you today.
0: <laughs> Great, today we'll be chatting about how the university was affected by the pandemic and the lockdown, Cisco's role in helping Brunel adapt to this new normal, and some of the permanent changes brought around by the virus that the university has taken forward. So Mick, to start us off, can you maybe talk about your role at the university and how you approach security there, and then into how the virus affected the university and some of the changes you you put in place? Sure. Um...
1: Well, Dan, I, I've been in the CISO role for a number of years. And as most people will uh, recognize, the, the core role, strategic role of a CISO is to deliver the organization's uh, cyber and information security strategy. So that's what I've kind of been busy on for the last probably four years. We have a five-year strategy. Um, we're actually formally into year three as we, as we speak now. Um, so just roughly over halfway. Um, and the vision that the university and myself had is that we wanted to make sure that we aligned information security, information assurance, cybersecurity, all to the business goals. Um, so all those years ago, I sat down in a room with Cisco, some of your you know Cisco colleagues, um, and we began the thought leadership journey actually, about how we would approach this, and I was very keen to make sure that we got our planning and thinking right at the beginning. Because in my past roles, I've seen how you you begin a strategy, but you have to stop and you have to take a new path. And that often costs a business money because you have to retrofit. Um, So I was delighted all those years ago to speak with um, some supreme uh, experts at Cisco to assist me as what I call my critical friends, really, uh, as a partner. Um, in shaping that journey. And we did. We, we kind of built the attributes of the business goals to the cybersecurity goals. Uh, and here we are in, in year three. We've built what I term a unified cybersecurity platform. We've started to grow uh, the competency and the training of the teams who are involved in cyber defense. But I guess probably the biggest thing for me as a CISO is organizational-wide, is getting people to care about data. That's the big thing that I have. It's um, if I can get a community, and we are a community in the university uh, as much as we are a university and a business, um, but it's a community sort of ethos that I'm trying to embed everywhere. That if everybody begins to care about our data and protect it as individuals, uh, then collectively you can make huge uh, gains in that space. So. It's it's been a fun journey so far, Dan.
0: Mm, but you've had a uh, you know the the COVID nineteen pandemic has been an interesting twist in that in that three year journey. So, what what did you have to do to adapt what you were doing to uh, a man like cope with the pandemic?
1: Yeah, and I think you know these are the things that are sent to test any business leader. Um, and I guess going back to the days of my military years. Um, We used to use a a good old-fashioned phrase called improvise, adapt, overcome. Um, And certainly that's the way that we've approached this uh, in the sense that this came out of left field in a sense. Um, We did prepare a little bit because we could see what was coming. And my team in particular uh, began testing a long way out before we went into lockdown to test that we could run our our security operations center uh, remotely. Uh, We bought extra uh, devices and monitors, uh, and we had a bit of a system in place to to make sure that we could test all of that before we actually went into lockdown. Um, so we were kind of thinking ahead quite a way. We, we were horizon scanning. We could see what was coming just by looking at uh, looking at it globally. Um, so these things are kind of sent to test you, and it was all about making sure that we were resilient in all areas, really, and that's about resilience of the workforce, resilience of um, Having the right digital systems in place to service the community. Because, of course, staff needed to continue working and students needed to continue having exams, doing their online training courses, and the rest of it. So, certainly, there was a lot of planning up front from uh, a lot of the IT practitioners to make sure that they delivered the digital services that the community needed. Um, And that integration and interoperability with my team as the cyber. Um, risk management, governance, sort of team to make sure we had the right controls so was, was desperately important. We'll be, but we built those relationships up over a number of years. So we did operate quite well in the sense of um, operating to security and privacy by design. Um, I have to say, though, Dan, it wasn't all easy. And, and certainly there's a lot of risk that has been carried as well. It's never going to be easy, you're mm-hmm. never going to eliminate all of the risk. Um, but I think our posture was sensible and balanced, um, and I was really pleased the way that university has taken to working at home. Uh, I think they've done a magnificent job.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, as I mentioned in, in, at the start, the universities have a, a lot of different types of users. You know, did you have unique challenges trying to make sure each of the academics, the students, and the staff? all understood their role in security, had the right technologies? Did you have to adapt it for each kind of user group?
1: No, absolutely. And um, as you know, CISOs are keen on metrics. And one of the metrics I have in front of me is that the workload on due diligence, for example, in my team has gone up 340% in the last three months compared to the norm. Um, And that was very much about... Um, conducting data protection impact assessments because we've got the privacy team inside the team as well. So it's uh, it's a full mm-hmm. information assurance team, conducting risk assessments for new services that we deployed uh, for the different user groups and, uh, of course, working with the IT practitioners uh, and, and our third-party suppliers to make sure the controls were kind of balanced and proportionate to the threats that we faced. Um, so certainly the the production uh, or the, the productivity of the team uh, has gone up exponentially in in the sense that uh, working from home we weren't doing all of the commuting our workload and demand on us was massive um and the increase in demand was 340 percent more to to make sure we could push out the digital services uh, pretty much in an agile manner but with balanced security there, and what we're doing now is optimizing that security as we go
0: mm-hmm. it's yeah it's been a, an intense journey for a lot of security teams, I think and you know obviously on the, the other side of that, uh, threat actors have been very busy you know there's dozens of reports out there saying every type of attack is up um, what what did you see what types of attacks did you see during the lockdown you know and how did you kind of cope with these the increase,
1: yeah, uh, uh, you're right. And I mean, you you've seen uh, plenty of, of this in, in you know in the media as well. Dan, COVID themed attacks, whether through phishing uh, attacks uh, or targeted spraying, password spraying attacks, or even brute force attacks, um, they've all kind of increased because the the criminals, if you like, is kind of mouse game, of course. Um, they could see the opportunity uh, and they wanted, and clearly have done, uh, they wanted to exploit the opportunity. So we had to move quite quickly to make sure that we bolted down the areas that would be um, core for their attack vectors, really. And we know that COVID themed phishing went through the roof. Um, we've seen a lot of ransomware threats uh, uh, kind of attack coming in through. Uh, I'm not talking about the university. I'm talking globally, because everybody's working remotely. Um, systems such as VPN and RDP <clears throat> were particularly vulnerable. So, of course, we were we focused on reducing the risk in those core attack vectors. Um, and a big part of that was messaging out to the community the ways that the criminals would try to exploit this particular period, which we've called the COVID-19 uh, business continuity phase. How long this business continuity phase lasts, we don't know, of course, but we are planning um, to be able to move back onto the campus in parts. And the university has come up with a pretty uh, pretty good plan to make sure that we can have what's known as dual delivery. Um, and that means we've got to have the, remi- the, the, the right digital services to do delivery uh, for remote teaching uh, and learning. Um, and also on campus as well. So it's been an interesting sort of strategic uh, position that the university and all universities have found themselves in. How can they deliver the core mission to the customers?
0: And, And, you know, as you said, we were entering this kind of hybrid phase where lockdown still remains for a lot of people, but some people are coming back into the office, onto the networks. You know, what sort of ongoing security challenges are you seeing that you know you're still dealing with ones that you weren't quite expecting ahead of time. You know what what kind of challenges are you still facing that you're needing to deal with?
1: Yeah, I think most of the challenges that we're dealing with now is optimizing security across the, the entire environment. And part of our vision um and part of my sort of thought process uh, some years ago was that we needed to be able to operate as a business anywhere so um you know whether we've got people working at home people on campus students on campus at home or away um, or we had data in the cloud or we had data on premise what we needed was a very very agile uh, series of countermeasures and security mechanisms that allowed people to do that anywhere at any time um, and that's why our journey at the moment in the, in, in the last two years of the strategy is a journey towards zero trust environment, um, mainly because uh, clearly that is the best way to create safe data havens, which is what we're trying to do. Of course, we've got a lot of intellectual property and a lot of personal data that criminals are after. And we have to work on the basis that, that actually the criminals are already inside our environments. And that's what we've been doing of late is not just the defense side, uh, Dan, but of course doing the threat hunting side as well. Um, And it's been a mixture of that over the last two or three months, both the defensive posture and the threat hunting, um, that gives a bit of an assurance to the business that, you know, we're we're in a safe-ish place at the moment, but things change and they change quickly. Um, So a lot of the team's effort has been into optimizing all of the, areas that we've been trying to mature for some time and that has meant that we might need to accelerate certain projects for example Um, and certainly MFA we we had in place but of course we want to move a bit quicker towards zero trust and make sure that all of our core IP data sort of portals have got all of the different protections around them and the verifications and the access control um, so, yeah, there's a lot of work. It's not just been the COVID business continuity period. It's, it's actually been making sure that we can continue the strategy with some energy and drive um, because, you know, this is eating into three, six months, uh, another 12 months. And the journey is all the same, one towards a zero trust environment.
0: Mm. No, I think zero trust is a really important part of, you know, any company's uh reaction to covid you know ones that are already on that journey have probably been a lot better placed um i just want to go on to you've mentioned this already your your unified security platform i think it's it's an interesting concept and um it's sort of an amalgamation of your entire like approach to security at brunel so i wonder if you can just kind of go into that for us
1: yes um do you know three years ago when i sat in that room with um with Cisco, I kind of articulated what the vision was, which is a unified uh, cybersecurity platform with only two or three strategic partners, perhaps four. It was very important for me to build a close, tight partnership. And uh, the way that I treat my partners is as my critical friends, if you like, because you can't do this kind of stuff by yourself. Um, even when you've got magnificent teams, you need that additionality, that expansion. Uh, and for me the the beauty of the thought leadership side was was actually we wanted the unified platform because we we wanted commonality uh, and interoperability in the instrumentation. And then funny old thing, three years later, Cisco, of course, have just recently, um Announced SecureX as the platform, um, so we'll be pivoting towards SecureX uh, in the future. So I was delighted when I saw those announcements because, in actual fact, through the instrumentation that we built and we we brought in an Exabeam Seam, acting as the GUI and our, uh, you know our intelligence portal. Um, I was delighted to see that actually we knew that this was the way that all businesses would need to go in the future if they if they were going to smartly invest in uh, cyber resilience ultimately, uh, and that is why it was so it was so important for me that we got into the community thinking that hey these are the journeys that we're going to make It's zero trust and it, it touches everybody in the sense that we want you to care about our data. Be aware, the same as we have an open campus, we have an open and digital environment, and there will be bad actors and criminals within it. So we want you to play your part in making sure you help us keep our data safe. Hmm. And it's beginning to bed in, Dan. That's the nice thing, is that ethos is beginning to bed in. People are beginning to care about data, which is a wonderful position to be in. Um, but, of course, we've, we've still got an awful amount of work to be done, not just for the next two years, but it's all about continual improvement all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for you, especially, you, you've mentioned to me in, in other times you've spoken, the, it's not just about resilience. It's, it's, it's about business enablement and almost business winning, especially for uh, an organization that lives and dies by its, its research data.
1: You you know me too well, Dan. Um, you, you know we talked a lot uh, as business leaders and CISOs over the years about how cyber and good information assurance enables business to you know to to conduct its missions really. Um, but I wanted to take that a bit of a stage further because I still believe that sound information assurance and cybersecurity will win you business as well. And we've begun to see this uh, of late because, of course, we partner with a lot of research partners, with industry, with commercial companies, um, with law enforcement, with different agencies. And we've all seen, as you've seen, Dan, that everybody now, if they're going to give their data to somebody, they want to make sure it's well looked after. So we've seen the contract clauses tighten up. We've seen the obligations of GDPR tighten up um, and therefore what we've wanted to do was demonstrate to the university that we can help you win business if we put in place that sound robust information assurance and cybersecurity uh, capability if you like and we begin to see that there's been a lot of due diligence um, on us before people commit um, and sign up to contracts and with one particular contract that we won the client was incredibly rigorous, and quite rightly so, about how their data would be protected. Um, So that was quite nice to see them come to us and not go to a competitor. So I think we're in that era now, um, particularly with more remote working as well, um, that clients and customers, even students and parents, they all want to know that the privacy of their students is taken seriously, Uh, that students are rigorous around making sure their data is well protected. So actually, you can begin to see the business benefits of investing smartly in cybersecurity and information assurance.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, students probably like the idea of working from anywhere, but the people with the the research money want to make sure, if you're all working remotely, that those connections, that data, that access is all completely sound from a security point of view.
1: Yeah, and um, I spend a lot of my time pouring over contracts with research partners, new customers, new clients, new cloud services. And of course, what I'm seeing and I've seen over the last year, really, is that every single entity is really tightening up their ability to conduct um, tight due diligence and even come and audit throughout the course of any contracts that you've got in place. And we also put high obligations on our supply chain, for example, as well. So we're quite rigorous in that space. Um, But it's nice when I can actually invite people into our security operations centre and show them around and show them, you know, actually the high-tech instrumentation and what it's designed to deliver for the business. Um, And it's often nice to to invite, you know, the community into the security centre. It's a 24-7 facility. And we conduct joint investigations um, with our police colleagues. Um, And, you know, when a student has been the subject uh, or or the victim of crime through cyber enabled fraud, it's nice when we can bring them into the uh, 24-7 centre and say, well, hey, you know, we've got experts that can help you right here, right now. Um, And that's wonderful to see because the community get an assurance then um, about what we're doing is for the good and better of the university.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think it's, it's an important topic, this kind of CISO as a customer-facing role. Moving on, uh, you've mentioned Zero Trust a few times. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, Zero Trust isn't a single piece of technology. It's a broad concept that is made of many parts. So, you know, how far along are you with that journey? You know, what have you done? What have you still got to do? Can you go into detail for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't it have been, well, I say nice, it would have been nice to have had this COVID incident another two years down downstream <laughs> um, because we're right in the middle of our journey towards zero trust. Um, it's, you know, it's, we have put the foundations in place down um, and, you know, working with Cisco and Exabeam and my other partner, which is Kipu together, we've started to put all of those blocks into place. But you know, the hardest part is actually the cultural part. It's, um, You know, for me, it's about messaging out and into the community, into the IT practitioners and everybody, what it is that the money that we're investing in Zero Trust is doing and why are we doing it? Um, And that means for me that I have to put together, I generally do a lot of this, is put together some uh, communication campaigns, for example, because this is all about people and people's approach to security. And, you know, a lot of the community are really interested in how cyber actors work. So I like to tell them and show them. And we do some videos and we show um, lots of presentations and we write out threat bulletins. And we message continually into the community about what the trends are from the threat actors. And I think the more that you message and you talk with your community, you shake hands. Well, of course, we can't shake hands anymore. Used to be a big, big part of our role is that we didn't want to just be sat in our silo. We wanted to get out into the departments. Um, and my cybersecurity manager Andrew used to take donuts with him, um, and he'd sit down <laughs> um, and he'd have tea and donuts with the departments, uh, and it would be a two-way conversation. And it didn't matter if somebody had been attacked at home, for example. It was it was inspiring a conversation about cybercrime. Um, And I think through messaging, we can begin to shift the culture of thinking and behaviour that demonstrates why zero trust with all of the different tooling and instrumentation that comes into play, how each individual can help us with that, whether it be the fact that, of course, people uh, don't always like to to do MFA, Um, the fact that we've got uh, additional verification checks before they can enter the safe data haven. Um, it's all work in progress for us at the moment, Dan, and I've found that if you can run parallel lines of communication as well as delivering technical capability and get everybody to buy into a common goal is the most important aspect, you know, with the IT teams, the practitioners, the business leaders, um, understanding what it is we're trying to do for the good and better of the university, and it kind of works. But you do need a campaign and a messaging campaign, the same uh, as at the moment with everybody working at home. Uh, we have to make sure that we're continually communicating with them.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that that leadership and culture part is really important, especially now. You know how I mean, zero trust is one thing, but how have you found kind of managing education around security during this time? You know, have you had to be more visible, more vocal with people to make sure they're doing the right things at home?
1: Yeah, and I think, again, you know, most people are committed to doing their job to the best of their ability. Um, And, you know, whether they're a researcher, a lecturer, or, you know, an accountant, they're all focused on their own jobs. So what we have to do is recognise that actually they're they're there to complete their own uh, job and mission. Um, so we have to message out to them with an understanding that actually we get that you're trying to do your job to the best of your ability. But we would love it if you would conform with some of these practices that are really important for us. And some of those, for example, are simple ones, uh, like making sure that if you're using a a, a built device, that it's being um, it updated through the VPN Um, to make sure all the patching and the updates are in place. And so regular communication with all the staff and the community about those simple security measures that the end user needs to take, as well as being clearly cautious and aware of what they click on. Um, And if we keep messaging in, but not too often, enough to say, hey, we're here to help, and often always say, well, can we help you with anything at the moment? Is there anything that we can do to make your job better? Of course, we can't always make it easier. We we do use a bit of innovation to wrap different security around uh, you know, specialist areas. Um, but it's letting them know that A, we want you to care about looking after the university data and actually your own personal data. And we push that guidance to everybody about how to build Uh, A cyber secure home, for example, because, of course, everybody's got their families, their husbands, their partners working in the home. So we pushed out advice on how to build a cyber secure sort of home. And I think that interaction, we get some great questions coming back. We used to have on site cyber surgeries. Now it's kind of online. We get some great questions coming in. Uh and it means that we could both field those questions and share the, our guidance and advice with the rest of the community different through different, you know, messaging platforms.
0: hmm That sounds like a really uh interesting and useful service, especially for students who probably aren't quite as cyber savvy as they as they probably should be. So you've mentioned that this is a, a five-year journey you're on. Um zero trust is one thing you're still working on, but what else have you got to implement? Um on your unified security platform, in those next couple of years, I know you've you are interested in in cloud and more cloud adoption. But what else is on your agenda?
1: Yeah, I think you know I am running about eight lines of development at the moment, and some of them are technical uh, capability builds. Um, some of them are, uh, for example, developing an information assurance framework um, because. Information assurance covers is the umbrella that covers all the areas of records management, data protection, information governance, um, you know, business continuity, uh, for example, um, and disaster recovery sort of practice. So I, I run maturity models to measure the metrics of how we're improving in the information assurance space. Um, and we're doing a lot of work now on business processes as well, because you know we we do have a lot of additional work in the the areas of um, dpias risk assessments, um, making sure that we've got great process in place or or building the processes now for secure and privacy by design. Um, and I think that's really important because everything we're about is design build operates we want to move as a university into the digital space and digital transformation that becomes you know a business winner and gives us competitive edge but we've got to sort of embed all of the security and privacy needs into that um so yeah there's a whole series of program uh, developments in place and in train at the moment you know wh- one of the things is instant management Um, It's kind of optimizing the incident management side. And again, wonderful when you've got um, Cisco immediate response teams, and I bring in Cisco to deliver simulation attack exercises, not just for the cyber team, but for all the IT staff. And they are absolutely wonderful for demonstrating how nation states and organized criminals get into your network Uh, go after privileged access rights, do the lateral movements, and then exfiltrate the data. And it gives everybody what I would call a common operational picture of how our adversary will seek to steal, damage, uh, you know, or, or get at our data. And what comes from those simulation exercises and optimizing incident management is that, you know, the university gets a bit of an assurance that when things do go wrong, as they do, we're in a good place to contain stuff quickly and get back to business as usual as quickly as possible with minimal damage, we hope. Um, so the the use of um, attack simulation exercises, in my view, is far better than just doing the standard penetration testing uh, and all of the other areas that we look at in defensive mode because for me, it's about doing the threat hunting in parallel with the defensive effort. And the attack exercises that we run show us very clear vulnerabilities to the methods that the criminals are using today, so yeah, there's a lot of work in different areas then
0: mm. and 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 finally you you've you mentioned all this work, but you know you've said you you only have a handful of small partners. I find that you know a lot of CISOs say they've they've got too many tools, too many panes of glasses. It's, it's interesting that you you approach this with a very much kind of less is more type approach and uh, you know cisco is a core part of that
1: yeah and i think um it, it definitely works for us because for example we're optimizing the csoc cyber security operations center at the moment and we've used um two of our partners cisco and kipu to help us through playbook development um and it's really good when you can bring in both partners and they're working with my team, as an expansion of my team. Uh, and it shows that there is a common ethos. There's a bit of a team building thing there as well, between having a small partnership with four partners, three, three at the moment looking for a fourth at the minute um, for some work in the cloud. Um, and actually people kind of like that because they know that that was always my ethos. And the whole idea for this summer, was actually to get everybody together in london and have a bit of a social but of course that's probably not going to happen at the moment then
0: <laughs> no I, sadly not um i think you've given us some really interesting points you know and you've really highlighted the the importance of culture and you know relying on on a few core partners to for not only the technology but the the thought leadership as well um so i think that's all we have time for today so thank you very much meg for joining us really appreciate it Oh, it's and, been a uh, pleasure
1: talking to you again, Dan. Thanks.
0: No problem. And, and thanks to the listeners for tuning in on this CSO and Cisco podcast. For more information on today's topics, you can head to csoonline.com or cisco.co.uk slash secwork. That's S-E-C-W-O-R-K. For CSO Online, I'm Dan Swinholm. Thank you and goodbye.